It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. For two weeks, the search for escaped convict Danilo Cavalcante cast a shadow of fear over the state of Pennsylvania. On September 13th, that manhunt was finally brought to an end, all thanks to the valiant efforts of law enforcement, as well as the bravery exhibited by one special four-legged member, Canine Yoda. Yoda is a four-year-old Belgian Malinois and a member of the U.S. Border Patrol Tactical Unit. The team was able to close in on Cavalcante, who was armed with a stolen rifle hiding in the woods at the time of his capture. When he attempted to flee, canine Yoda was released. Yoda was able to apprehend Cavalcante, allowing authorities to arrest him without any shots being fired and without any injuries to law enforcement. The incredible skills exhibited by Yoda that day were in part the result of Spike's Canine Fund, a nonprofit organization dedicated to training police dogs and providing them proper care and resources during and after their careers. James Hatch is a retired Navy SEAL and Special Warfare operator, as well as the founder of Spike's Canine Fund. He joins me now to share more about his life-saving organization and the amazing work they do. I started Spike's Canine Fund because when I was, uh, I spent about 26 years in the Navy, 22 of that, and the SEAL teams in uh, the last few years of my career, I was a dog handler for a bit, and I uh, worked with uh, dogs in combat, and four of them that I worked with perished at different times and different deployments, and when I when I came back uh, to the States and got myself somewhat sorted out after I was wounded and, and went through some mental health issues, I, I found that, in general, the working dogs in general are not you know, given the resources I think they deserve. Uh, and as a guy who's had his life saved by canines, uh, I think they deserve quite a bit. And I have a lot of buddies who are home with their families right now because of the dogs. And I, you know, we work with law enforcement quite a bit. And there's quite a few law enforcement folks I know that are going home to their families because they got a dog with them. So I want to make sure that the dogs have everything they need during and then after their career working on behalf of humans ethically. I think it's it's a mandatory thing to do. We're asking them to do some pretty rough things sometimes, and they don't really understand what we're asking them to do. And uh, so we need to help them. Uh, we need to give them this, the best equipment and care we, we possibly can. And that's what Spikes aims to do. So, James, as we have covered on this program, our tax dollars um, hideously do not cover veterinary care post-retirement. And so K- Spikes Canine Fund in part then covers that you your fund works toward achieving or procuring medical and vet care for these dogs post-retirement and then the second half of that question is you say the resources during deployments during their working careers is that ballistics fest then can you dive into what exact resources you're providing these dogs right so for the first part um with the medical yes we have actually provided there are a lot of uh, municipalities who have dogs working for them who do not have the funds to properly take care of them. So we've had uh, dogs that have gotten shot five times doing a SWAT raid uh, and the city didn't have enough money to give the dog surgery. <laughs> so we paid for that surgery. 
And then again, like you mentioned, you know, as dogs get older after they retire, that's when, you know, like me, when I got out of the military, that's when I started to go see the doctor a lot more just because I got beat up during my time. Same with the dogs. So oftentimes when departments retire the dog, the handlers will adopt them or at least someone on the, on the force will adopt them. And then at that point, they become financially responsible for the health of that dog. And the dogs, like I said, sustain injuries and put them into violent situations, put them into tough environments sometimes. And they sustain injuries and they're going to need medical care. And so, yes, that is something else that we provide. So and then on the equipment side, we, we do multiple things, really. When I first got into this, I, I didn't realize how many uh, police canines in particular are killed in hot vehicles when a an air conditioning unit breaks or when an engine stalls and the officer's out doing something else and they come back to their car and, you know, their dogs perished. So we uh, started helping out providing essentially heat alarms that will allow the officer to know that, hey, the, the temperature is too high in the car and it'll roll the windows down and pop the doors if the temperature gets dangerous for the dog, <laughs> which is been actually a, kind of a funny little anecdote. We helped out a guy in Northern Virginia with one of those heat alarms, Ace, Ace Canine Hot and Pop systems. And he pulled a bunch of dudes over one night on the side of the road in a hilly part of Virginia. They got out and started whipping his ass. And one of the features on the equipment that we provide for the heat alarm is there's a key fob and you can pop the doors with the key fob. Well, he was getting the boots, man, on the side of the road by a bunch of dudes and it wasn't looking good. And he pushed that key fob and the dog got out and kind of even the playing field started messing dudes up and then he could get up and, and get things under control. So he wanted, he just called and said, Hey man, that thing saved my life. I didn't think a heat alarm would save my life, but it did. So <laughs> we do that. We do ballistic vests, uh, not just ballistic vests, but the best ballistic vests. There's a lot of different equipment out there and where I came from, you know, you want to have the best stuff. The dogs deserve the very best stuff and the best stuff in the world is the canine storm um, swap vest that we provide. They're super light. In fact, the last version they sent to me and I was so shocked at how light it was that I took it out and uh, shot it just to make sure that they weren't BSing me. And, and it stopped two um, nine mil rounds, one hollow point, one I think it was 155 green ball. So powerful bullet. And it stopped both of them, no issues. These vests have recorded saves of dogs that have been shot, stabbed, rebar from underneath the floor that gave way that would have gutted the dog. You know, the vests stop that kind of stuff. So we provide that as well. And um, that's super important. And then the, the thing that we provide, I think, that's the most has grown the quickest, and we didn't really get into it until a couple of years ago is providing instruction. I asked some guys on this uh, podcast called Working Dog Radio. I said, hey, you know, what does the community need the most? And they said, training, good training. People can't afford it. People can't get their uh, municipalities to fund it. So we've started doing it and we teach things like medical. A lot of, a lot of dog handlers don't know what to do if their dog gets shot and how to stop the bleeding and how to keep an airway open, things like that. So we do those courses. Uh, and we have had, uh, after almost every one of those courses we've taught, someone in those courses has saved a dog within a few weeks. It's interesting. Uh, we also teach decoy work. So when a dog, like you're going to talk about canine Yoda, when a dog like Yoda, in fact, that's the, the course he went through uh, with us. When a dog like Yoda is, is, is asked to go bite people, there's a really good way to do it. And there's a really bad way to do it. And training to do it can actually hurt the dog really badly. If the decoy sometimes called the helper, they're not trained in how to catch the dog, so to speak. The decoy also trains the dog, can help the dog with confidence, can help the dog get through issues that it might be having. So it's a super important skill if we're going to ask these dogs to go out and find, you know, 
convicted murderers that are hiding in the woods. So we teach uh, also tracking. That's a pretty big deal these days. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of criminals are stealing cars, wrecking them, running away, hiding in the woods. And then, you know, guys go after them with the dog because the dog can trail. Uh, we have a couple of combat Marines teaching that course for us right now, guys that served in a really rough part of Afghanistan that I'm familiar with, uh, with their dogs finding IEDs in really, really tough situations in there. And they're both really squared away. Uh, and we're, you know, we're trying to branch out. Our only limits are uh, resources right now. So we're, we're continuing to grow. And I think we'll be able to provide more and more and more uh, as we as we keep moving. They deserve it, the dogs. You know, they definitely deserve it. Yes, they do. They never fail. So much to unpack there of what you said, James. First of all, I had, I'll sort of work backwards also. I had the, I don't know if you call it the pleasure of, but um, I wore a bite a bite suit um, and nice. I got to experience that. And to your point about knowing how to decoy effectively, you know, you sort of have to like turn your body away with the force and the inertia. And, you know, as I'm being quote unquote trained in this, I'm also like inwardly screaming and everything's going in one ear and out the other, you know, and then when I actually do it, then I'm actually physically screaming. And when we, we watch the video on slow-mo, I like the dog, like the second that he touched, like even like barely got a bite on my arm, I like flew around. It was like, I mean, it essentially has become a comedy video. Um, and then I like bounced off the ground. Like it's, it's quite hilarious, but you know, only a, a fraction of that being funny. Cause of course the purpose is so serious and so life-saving. And I think that was the common denominator of what I was getting from all that you said there is that all or most of the these deaths of these working canines, these unfailing assets that we hold so crucially are preventable. And that is something that I think can garner and galvanize so much support because with proper training, with proper equipment, um, I agree with you. I've had the honor of interviewing the family behind Canine Storm. Uh, they're amazing and their ballistics vests are absolutely top notch. And there are a lot of nonprofits that are dedicated to securing ballistic vests and ballistic equipment for working canines in this country. But pretty much all of them go through Canine Storm in terms of the outfitting origin. And I'm so grateful to that because they absolutely save lives. And to your point about it being lightweight, I mean, it's it's amazing to see the agility of the dogs. Um, it's as if they are wearing nothing, really, when they're performing all of their duties as they, they're wearing this, what you would think would be a heavy, cumbersome vest. It's really not. It's it's actually sort of a beautiful work of art that is truly life-saving. Um, and I think about, you know, when you talk about the medical training and the ER and the surgery, the fact that departments can't sometimes afford that they have to make life-saving decisions for these canines based on on resources based on whether they can afford it. That's a travesty for all of us whose tax dollars pay, you know, for the security of officers. These dogs are officers too. These dogs are a vital part of our law enforcement and veteran and military community. And so the thought of having them ill-equipped, under-equipped is just really, that's a, that's a travesty. So a couple questions for you for the fund with everyone listening who wants to support. Number one, how do you pick the dogs that you delegate these resources for. So let's say you get X amount of money and it can provide, you know, one vest. How do you select the neat? Is there an application process and the departments and the dog owners apply on their own and you pick from that or how does that work? Yep. Generally speaking, we use our app. We have a spikes canine 
fun app for iOS and, and uh, for, the, for the Android phones. And you can go on there and it has uh, applications for every single thing that we provide. And there's things on there that I haven't discussed yet. But uh, that's the best way to do it. Just download the app and put it in. What we try to do when we get um, – sp- let's just talk about best. When we get orders – for when we get a, a request to provide a vest, we, we first of all put it in the order that it was received. But then – we will look at the, and we can generally tell based on the in, uh, information that the uh, handler puts into the application, if they're in a high threat, high crime area. And if that is something that is the truth, then we will try to bump those guys up. From time to time, we do that. Um, and it's generally only in you know rare circumstances because the truth is, you know, at any given moment, there's dogs out working the street right now and they could end up in a life uh, threatening situation. But the likelihood of it happening in a place where there's a lot of that you know, that type of violent crime and the dogs are used more often, we'll, we'll try to accelerate them getting the best over maybe somebody who works in a, in a very rural area that, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of crime. Uh, again, that's pretty rare. Generally, we just go in the order that the applications were received. So I think in the application process, the handlers have to provide us with, of course, documentation, information with their department, the credentials that the dog earned through various trainings and different departments use different groups to to uh, certify their dogs, but we're familiar with all of them. So they have to send all that stuff in. Once they send it in, we go through it. Uh, we actually have a, a former police officer, canine officer, and she is our communications person. So she gets all the applications and she knows how to speak, you know, cop to cop, which is very helpful. And then we, we put it into the system and, and we just grind. We, we uh, I, you know, we have several, uh, we have, I, I think we have close to 25 dogs on our list right now who need them. Okay, the next question then is, if people want to make a targeted donation, so let's say someone local to, um, you know, Smyrna, Georgia says, I want to outfit every dog in this department with a vest, or I would like to provide training for every law canine officer in my county in Tennessee. Is that something that a donor can articulate to you and have that happen? Generally speaking, no, but there are exceptions. And the reason that we do that is because if we, we tried that initially, and what happened was we would get people that only wanted to donate for the dogs in their particular areas. And it turns out the people who have funds to donate for dogs in their area don't live in areas where there's a lot of crime. <laughs> so yeah. it was turning out that people were donating for specific areas. And then the, the people who needed them in other areas that didn't have that kind of you know disposable income, it, those, those dogs weren't getting protected. So we generally do not do that, but we can if, uh, if, if the stars align. And, you know, that's kind of the CEO. Our CEO, Emily, is definitely the one to kind of guide people through that process. And it's just a matter of applying and then talking to her specifically about what they would like. But again, uh, we want to try to make sure that the every dog who needs it gets it. On that, are you able to articulate some figures for us? Just again, if donors sort of have ballpark, how much does one vest cost? How much does one training cost? How much does one... Um, you know, vet care post-retirement. Do you have anything like that that you could share with guests? Yeah, so uh, some of my former colleagues uh, run a, a company uh, called Tomahawk Strategic Solutions. And I went to those guys, they're, they're uh, retired SEALs like me, and we worked very closely together. And I said, hey, would you guys like to fund our Spikes schools for the year? And they said, yes. And we have a, a rounded figure for each school. It's roughly $10,000. So they covered, I think we have 18 schools this year. So, you know, there you go, 180K. So a school is $10,000. Uh, that covers the, our, our paying the instructors who are professional and vetted. Uh, we try to get the very best people we can. 
we have two members of the spikes team that go to each school to help provide you know food and you know just logistical support and just to make sure that our standards are kept we have a pt test before every course and do you know what's funny man it's a one mile run and i set the time for it which is 12 minutes and the officers have to wear their uh, their equipment that they would wear on duty and they have to run with their dog I set that time and I've been shot in the leg and uh, I can't run very well. And, uh, and man, we've had cops say, you know what? I'm not doing it. The whole department in New York state was like, Oh, we got to do a PT test. Now we don't want the training, which blows my mind. But uh, our board is pretty squared away. And they, and they said, look, man, you have to know that the people that you're spending your donors money on are, are, are willing to work for it. And that's really all that shows us. Wow. <clears throat> so each class, like I said, is about 10 K and, that goes for all of the different courses that we teach, at least at this point, and that may change in the future. Uh, the vests are roughly $3,500. They're very expensive, but again, they're custom fit to the specific canine. They're measured and cut and designed for that specific dog so that they're protected as much as they can be without impinging any of their movement, the way their joints work, their shoulders, doesn't slow them down. Uh, so $3,000 for one of those or $3,500 for one of those. Let me think. What else? The heat alarms are roughly $1,500. We also provide things, you know, different things, goggles, booties, uh, things for dogs that work in, you know, the search and rescue environment. Like those dogs that were in uh, Maui had, they had a lot of foot injuries. So we're trying to work out solutions for that kind of stuff. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. All right, let's transition to canine Yoda, um, the very good boy who apprehended a violent escaped convict in the state of Pennsylvania. What can you tell us about him and the training he went through with Spike's canine? I, uh, I, can, I can tell you, at our, he went through the decoy course and it was really, you know, his human was learning how to catch dogs. And uh, the person that we have teaching it is, a, is an old school German guy named uh, Armin Winkler, who's one of the best in the world. Uh, he, he trains some of the most high-speed units in the world uh, that use dogs. And he can tweak how a dog hits the decoy, how, it, how deep the dog bites. And there are a lot of little nuances with the way a dog uh, engages a suspect that can make that dog safer and make the suspect safer as well. So that's basically what he did over and over and over. Yoda just kept getting after it. And from what I'm told, I wasn't at that course, but the ladies who were told me that Yoda's kind of special in that he has a really good switch, which means in the dog world, that means that he's a dog that can lay down on the floor and play with the guy's kids and then go to work and whip ass, which he did. <laughs> so he's kind of a special dog in that regard. That's amazing. I think most humans I know, including myself, we don't, we don't have that switch. That's the whole point, right? <laughs> it, it sort of, um, it's, you know, those high energy, high octane moods and certainly the drive and certainly that high adrenaline rush. Um, I can't imagine being able to shut it off like that. But to that point, I mean, these dogs are incredibly obedient. They save lives. They protect lives. Um, they're just absolute incredible assets. And I, I keep using that word because they I don't know any other word to say. And the, the, their partners, you know, they're their partners in so many ways. Yeah. 
right? They're at their they best are. friends. They're members of the family, but they are a working partner for these law enforcement and military and federal service members. And I just can't imagine the strength of that bond. There's really no words for it. Yeah, there are no words for it. And I think, you know, you mentioned something earlier that I really want to, I want to touch on. And you said, yeah, they never fail. Actually, they do fail. And when they do fail, when the dogs do fail, they fail because their humans haven't done the right thing by them. Either they put them into a situation that they were not trained for, uh, meaning they put them into a fight that the dog wasn't ready to engage in because his training wasn't up to speed, uh, or the dog gets injured because he didn't get the right training, uh, or the dog just chooses not to engage because he doesn't have the drive that the people think he has. And there are ways to test those kinds of things. And it's important that we know that we struggle to get people to sometimes accept our help. We have to convince sometimes, we have to convince and train and educate some of these officers because they think putting a, a vest on a dog is, is actually gonna get them killed because they think it slows them down. But what I try to say about that is, you know, in the SEAL teams, I had to train in what I fought in. I had to wear my body armor, I had to wear all my, my guns and bullets and radio and water and all the crap that we use when we go to war. And I had to train in it, so I was good at it. So I was in shape and I could use it when I needed to. That's the same thing applies to cops when they wear their body armor and their kit. And it should apply to the dog as well. So it's not always uh, perfect. The dogs are a product of their environment and the people who are tasked with caring for them and using them in those violent situations. And so that's really part of the reason why we started the school is we realized that if we can educate the handler uh, and teach the handler the best way to do the things that the handler needs to do, we're going to actually help the dog out uh, more than any other way, really. It reminds me of the saying, practice makes permanent, whereas most people say practice makes perfect. And the whole point is yeah. that, you know, whatever you're repeating, whatever you're putting in front of, of you or the dog or whatever, whatever it is, that is what will play out um, in real life. And so thank you for that correction of what I've been saying and also explaining the reason why, which is just another reason why we should support your incredible fund. Um, James Hatch, thank you first and foremost for your service. Thank you for your continued service to those working canines and to all of us who protect us on a daily basis and are willing to risk and make the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms. Is there any final words you'd like to share with us before we close today? No, thank you is what I'd like to say. You know, thank you for giving us the opportunity to be on your program. You guys, uh, you, you guys do good stuff and, and the word's going to get out to a lot of people because of you and we're going to help more dogs just because of this broadcast. And so, Emily, thank you. I'm, I'm eternally grateful and so are the dogs that are going to be helped because of this. To hear more stories like this, you can listen to our past episodes on the Fox True Crime Podcast. Go to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts to listen and subscribe. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. If you have a story or topic you want to hear on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at truecrimepodcast at fox.com. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.